Amen. Thank you for that. The truth of that is we're all blessed to be honest with you and and we're blessed beyond measure just to be saved and be here tonight and our freedom to worship the Lord uh, openly. Praise the Lord for the many blessings uh, that we have. Uh, this morning, I, I, or this morning, I was going to sum up our tri- my trip to Israel, and I couldn't remember the words, but I brought them. I wrote them all down. Uh, and Pastor Reese, uh, one of the pastors that went with us, he uh, he summed it up much better than I could in three words. And one was education, and I mentioned that this morning. And certainly, it was an educational trip. There's no doubt about it to Israel. Um, and just just seeing the lay of the land. One of the things I think I might have mentioned this this morning. So if I did, forgive me, but. Uh, I'll tell you like my dad did, don't stop me, I just enjoy telling the story, all right? Um, So, uh, but one of the things that I found very educational was just standing on the Mount of Olives and and observing all of Israel and just, or not Israel, excuse me, Jerusalem and the Temple Mount and and picturing, well, here's Caiaphas' house to the south and here's the place to the north where they would have crucified him and here's the place, the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane and being able to see all of that, I, I didn't realize the Mount of Olives was really as close to Jerusalem as it is. Uh, there is a valley there, the Valley of Kidron, uh, but uh, it's, not, it's not very vast, it's not very wide, it's almost like a holler. If you've been to West Virginia, uh, you can stand on one hillside and see the other hillside. That's kind of how it is. Uh, but there was no trees. It was very desert and very uh, barren. So it was very educational. And the second thing it was, uh, was that it, was, it exhorted me. Uh, just to see, um, you know, some of those things, it was like, man, we, to see the, I mentioned this morning, the Hasidic Jews uh, and them practicing their faith. And, and boy, how we need much more zealousness in our own faith, more fervency in our own Christianity. And so I was exhorted in that, uh, that regard. And then lastly, I was edified. Uh, just to be able to be there and, uh, and take all that stuff in was really quite a sight, to be honest with you. And, uh, and then somebody else gave another word. We were given testimonies towards the end. I wasn't. I didn't have a voice. But uh, they were given testimonies at the end of the trip. And, uh, and said, somebody summed it up this way, that they were thankful. And I thought, boy, that's, you know, that's true. Uh, I was very thankful to be able to go appreciate our church helping uh, or sending me. Uh, and, and just all the, that was a blessing to me, uh, just to be able to be there and see all of those sites. And thankful is a good word uh, for that trip to be able to be there. Uh, what a blessing. So I appreciate that. And Lord willing, I was talking to my wife on the way in. I thought, how do I... How do I resume 10, 10 I, have a th- I have literally a thousand pictures, um, and, and how do I take 10 days and try and put it into a uh, graspable terms? I don't know, Lord willing, next Sunday night or next Sunday, I'll have something uh, that will do something, and I would like to do some kind of slide presentation, but I also don't want to bore you to tears, um, and so, uh, but I want to give you a taste of, of what we enjoyed, and so I'll work on something and, uh, and put something together, nonetheless, uh, that you'll be able to see some of the pictures and see some of the sites. And, and I hope and pray that it'll be a blessing and a help to you, uh, as it was certainly to myself. It was certainly a blessing. Um, so I'm excited about that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter number 4. And uh, for tonight, I was struggling whether I go with something on, Israel, on our Israel trip or jump back into Revelation. And I'll be honest with you, those 10 days went by so fast and there was so much material 
that I, I just, I haven't even had a chance to sit down and process all of it. And uh, I, I just, uh, I took extensive notes and I'm going to go back through and go over all of those and just reflect and think about all of the times and all the places that we visited. We visited about three or four, uh, maybe five sites every day. And, uh, and we'd go in and uh, our, our tour guide would, would give us the historical rundown of that site. Uh, Brother Charlie would open the scriptures and read one account of something that happened at that site. Uh, and then, and then we would, we'd move on. We'd go to the next place and we would see another one. We'd have another history lesson. We'd have another Bible scripture passage read. And, uh, and it was just really an incredible time. So we did that, you know, three, four times a day. And I just, man, I was jotting notes as fast as I could on my phone and, uh, and taking pictures and trying to note where everything was because I know that I, you snap a picture and they're like, I have no idea what that pile of rocks is. Uh, I mean, that's the, the extent of it, but I got notes to go with it to try and help us uh, figure all that out. So we will we'll go through all that, and that'll be a, a help, and uh, I look forward to it. But for the meantime, we'll go in Revelation chapter number 4 and verse number 1. Um, we are not going to get through all of the, the chapter this evening. Matter of fact, probably from here uh, to the end of the book of Revelation, I will change uh, the way I, I'm, we're looking at this, the first few chapters there, the first three chapters, was easy to preach. Uh, it, it was material for the church. And probably from here on out, we'll look at a more of a teaching style as we dig through the book of Revelation because it is uh, end time prophecy and it's stuff that we will look at that will be uh, very helpful to us to try and uh, put it all together and understand it. So Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and beheld a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. We'll stop right there. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your many blessings. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to be here. God, I pray that as we look at these uh, verses and this passage in the book of Revelation, God, I pray that you'd give us understanding hearts. God, I pray that you would touch our minds and touch our hearts and help us to uh, have clarity of thought and a good understanding, Father, of your word. I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me and touch each and every heart tonight. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we look at this passage, uh, I do want to re revamp, re recover, review, that would be the right word, uh, the, the seven churches. And we'll not take a lot of time, but I do feel it's important because we covered each one individually, which I believe was good, uh, but I want to just review really quickly. And so in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we saw the declining church. 
And that was the church at Ephesus that had left their first love. You'll remember that. I'm not going to go through the whole passage. But it was a church that was in decline. Uh, and then verses 8 through 11, we found the dependable church. That was the church that was in Smyrna. Uh, and if I remember properly, there was nothing bad that was said uh, about the church in Smyrna, but they had withstood persecution. Uh, their church had been persecuted, and, uh, and so they were a dependable church. In chapter 2 and verses 12 down through 17, we find the defiled church, uh, and that was Pergamos. And, uh, and they dwelt where Satan's seat was. That was there was a stronghold of Satan that was there. And, uh, and I remember uh, studying and going through that, and we did find that, hey, even though, though there was wickedness all about them, they were able to live and do what was right. And we ought to take encouragement by that. That was the defiled church of Pergamos. We find in Revelation 2, 18 through 29, the defiant church. And that was Thyatira, uh, the church who allowed uh, Jezebel to teach in the church. And of course, that's a picture and a reference of a church that was, has allowed cor corruption to seep into the church and to be uh, elevated to positions of authority and to teach in their church. And of course, that was a problem for that church. In Revelation chapter 3 and verses 1 through 6, we found the dead church that was Sardis. And you remember, as we read through that, that was a church that was dying. And he said, hey, those things that are alive, uh, man, hang on to them and breathe some life into them and bring them back. And, and so there was certainly that dead church uh, that was there in Sardis. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7 through 13, we find the dedicated church. That was the church of Philadelphia, if I remember correctly. Uh, I don't believe there was bad said about that church either. But there was the church where there was a door that was open that no man could shut. And we talked about how they had opportunity to serve the Lord. And how we would have opportunity to serve the Lord in many things. And that was the uh, dedicated church, Philadelphia there, Revelation 3, 7 through 13. And then we come to the last church, the Laodicean church. In Revelation 3, 14 through 22, and that was the deceived church. In other words, they had deceived themselves. They thought they were fine, but they were not. Uh, they said, we're rich, we have need of nothing. But in fact, Jesus said that they were poor and wretched and blind and miserable. And, and they had great need, but they didn't recognize the need. And, uh, and so those are the churches that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And I want you to notice that's so important for us to go over all of that and review that. Why? Because at the close of chapter number 3 and the opening of chapter number 4, uh, we will not find that the church is mentioned again in the book of Revelation. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, I'm grateful for that. Uh, I read years ago that, uh, that in, in verse number one, where he says, come up hither, that that was the rapture. And the, Im the impact of that just didn't set well with me. But having spent so many uh, weeks studying these first few chapters, I realized that, hey, these church, uh, these, these messages to these churches was very pertinent for them. But then we do find, hey, there is a change there in chapter four. 
and, uh, and the church is no longer mentioned in the book of Revelation except for at the very end, and we will talk about that. But as we turn uh, from chapter 3 to chapter 4, there's that dynamic change in scenery. And so these were messages to actual churches. You say, Pastor, did you see any of those churches while you were in Israel? No, because they were all in Turkey. Okay, they're in Asia Minor. I didn't get that far. Uh, Brother Bob Coons lived over there, so he knows quite a bit about some of those areas. And uh, he's a great resource to talk to. I mean, when you've been there and seen some of those things, it's really impactful, just as I was in Israel. And, uh, and so he, he knows some of those areas and has been to some of those towns and lived in one of those towns, matter of fact. And, and so it's certainly interesting to look at those things. And, uh, and it's interesting to look at all these, uh, these things. But from here forward, uh, it's a prophetic uh, book that, that is looking forward. It's telling us things that are to come. And we notice this in his vision. Notice there in verse number one. Um, well, go jump down with me to verse number five, and I want to cover this because I won't cover this later. Uh, verse number five, we did not read it. It says this. It says in verse number five, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And, uh, and I just want to cover this because we saw this back in Revelation chapter 1 in verse number 4. Uh, look with me there in Revelation 1, 4. The Bible says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, peace from him, which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his thrones. And so we see that there. We see it in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. And so we see that referenced several times that will show up in chapter 4 and verse 5 that we referenced, and again in chapter 5 and verse number 6. And, uh, and as I was studying and looking at all this, uh, around that, that, uh, that throne of God, uh, there's, there's verses that in Isaiah, chapter number 11, go with me to Isaiah 11, save your spot here in Revelation as we'll be back here. Revelation chapter number 11. And I just want to, to show you these, these verses that reference this about the seven spirits of God. Because I read that, and I think to myself, what are these seven spirits? And, uh, and what does that mean? Well, Isaiah chapter number 11 and verse number 1, we have a prophetic portion that's looking forward to the Savior. But look at what he says. It says in verse number 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord, that's one, shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom, that's two. And understanding, that's three. The Spirit of counsel, that's four. And might, that's five. The Spirit of knowledge, that's six. And the Spirit and, and of the fear of the Lord, that's seven. And you have the seven spirits, or the, uh, the way that it's listed there, at least, that could very well reference what those seven spirits are, or they're the fullness of the Spirit of God. 
And, uh, and so that was pointed out to me uh, as I was studying and looking at that, and I found that interesting and, uh, and thought I'd, I'd just throw that out there. As we look at all these symbols uh, and, and look at all these things, it's good to reference them in accordance to the Word of God. Uh, the Word of God explains much of this to us. Uh, but let's go back to verse number 1 and uh, look with me there. The Bible says there in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1, after this, I looked. So after the message to the seven churches, you remember he received all those messages. He was to give them to the seven churches. We saw that in, in Revelation 1.4. Uh, and then he goes on and does all of that. Now after this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And, uh, and so now he's directed his attention towards heaven and he's focused uh, towards that door that was opened unto him in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me. And I want us to notice a few things about this verse. I want you to notice the when. I kind of covered that. Uh, this is after all the messages to the church churches, the seven churches. And, uh, and that's important for us to understand. Uh, again, I mentioned that the church is not referenced throughout the main part of this book. Go with me to Revelation 22, verse number 16. This is the last, uh, this is the only other time that church is mentioned or churches are mentioned in the book of Revelation other than our first three chapters that's mentioned multiple times. Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 16, the Bible says this, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And so we have the closing of the book here. And he's saying, hey, these things are to be taught in the churches. In other words, hey, uh, it's appropriate that we would open up the book of Revelation and that we would go through it and that we would understand it. If you remember back to the very first message that we learned on, on the book of Revelation, it is what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, that Jesus is revealed to us in the, in the book of Revelation. And, uh, and so we will see him, and uh, in, in, in that's what this verse is referencing in verse number 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. And, uh, and so the book of Revelation is meant to be studied. It's meant for us to sit down and to, to open it up and to teach through it and to understand what is the book. So we have the when. We have the where. Uh, and I, t I touched on that. It's in heaven. Uh, the previous chapters have all been messages for on this earth. But now we see that his attention is turned and he's directed toward heaven. Look with me in Revelation 1.10. Go back with me. We'll contrast this. As he was getting the message we saw in chapter 4, uh, that he was getting the message for the churches. And in verse number 10 he says, uh, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Uh, and I want you just to notice the difference uh, in chapter 4 and verse number 1. It was up in heaven. In chapter 1 and verse number 10, it was behind him here on this earth. And there was a message that was to go out 
to those churches that were physically located on this earth. But in chapter 4, we find, hey, his attention is now turned up towards heaven. And it's not, no longer set here on the earth. And so the location is different. Uh, and it's a vision that John is having of up in heaven. And it's an earthly uh, vision or a heavenly vision that he's having. Look with me at verse number four or verse number one of chapter four. I love this. He says, And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet. Praise the Lord. That trumpet is the, the sound of the last trump. And we know that uh, not because of the fact that it is a trumpet, but rather because of what it says, come up hither. And he's calling him. And he's saying, hey, it's time. Uh, now is the time. The trumpet. Go with me to, uh, uh, I want to look at these passages because they're so important. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And verse number 13. We'll start there. I, I always try to jump into 16, but I can't go there without starting at verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 we, and I reference this passage a lot during funerals and things like that because it's so helpful to us. But the Bible says there in verse number 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And that sleep he's talking about, those who have passed away. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. I love the qualifications that he puts on that in verse number 14. He's very clear and says, hey, if we are believers, if we trust the Lord as our own personal Savior, he's going to go on and comfort us. And he's very clear about that in verse number 14. And he says, um, even those that, that which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. In other words, those who have already passed away to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so those who have passed away, they're with the Lord in spirit. And he's saying, hey, uh, the, he's going to bring them with him when he comes. And he says here in verse number 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That word prevent uh, means to proceed. In other words, the, the, the dead in Christ shall rise first. One of the interesting things, I was looking at pictures this afternoon of Israel. And on, on the Mount of Olives, there are, there are boxes, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of boxes where, where the Jews have been buried. And, and they're all, uh, they're, their boxes are on top of the ground. What it is, they put their bodies in a sepulcher and then they'll wait for a full year. Once those, those, the body has fully decayed, they'll take all those bones and move them into a box. And then they'll put that box on the Mount of Olives. And they make sure their feet are facing what? That eastern gate. Why? Because they know when God comes back, hey, there's going to be a great resurrection and they want those people to rise with their feet already facing uh, the, the, mount, or the, the eastern gate of the temple and they're ready to roll, man. Uh, and I'm not kidding you. There are thousands of boxes uh, of bones that are buried there on the Mount of Olives that are facing that. And what he's saying is, hey, the dead in Christ are going to arise first. Those who are saved, 
those who are, uh, the, that have already gone on before us, like my grandfather, like my grandmother, who know the Lord as their personal Savior and have already died. Hey, listen, they're going to resurrect bodily out of that grave. You say, how's that going to be? I don't know. I wonder myself, are they going to leave a hole? I don't know. I don't know how it's going to be. But I know this, the Bible says that they are going to raise from the dead. And he says here um, that we won't prevent them. But then look at what it says. And then we, which, uh, verse number 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a blessing. Man, I don't know about you, but I look forward to that. That's something. And, and I... You say, preacher, are we going to leave holes in this roof for he to come tonight? I don't know. And if we do, you know what? Let them worry about it. I'm out of here, man. I don't care if we leave holes in the roof. I don't know how it's going to be. But I know this, that we are bodily going to be taken and carried up. Um, the, and, and what an exciting day for us as we look forward to the rapture. And notice there in verse number 18, we cannot leave those words out. The Bible says, wherefore... Comfort one another with these words. Hey, it's a comfort to know the Lord. It's a comfort to know that when He comes, hey, we'll be raptured out of here. And the end of verse number uh, 17 says, So shall we ever be with the Lord. We're going to be there for eternity with Him. And what an exciting time that we can know that we're going to be with the Lord. Hey, that trumpet that sounds in chapter Revelation 4, 1, uh, he says here, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. You notice in our, our text here, it says um, in verse number 15, back in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, says with verse number 16, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise. Uh, I remember preaching several months ago, uh, might have been six months ago, out of uh, one of the prophets of the Old Testament. Hey, and they talk about that trumpet. And that trumpet sounds, and it's significant throughout Scripture that's talking about the resurrection. Go with me to one other passage as we think about the, rep, the rapture that is going to take place. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. These two passages are so very clear that there is a physical resurrection of the dead and that we will be raptured out of here. And uh, we see that in Thessalonians that we'll be caught up in, in the air to meet with the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 51. And we're talking about that trump that says, come up hither. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 51, he says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that would be die or pass away, but we shall all be changed in a moment, 
in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, we're going to be changed. I I praise the Lord. Uh, What a day that will be. Uh, He says there that this corruptible must put on incorruption. This flesh, hey, listen, it's corruptible. Uh, my, my flesh is not perfect. It, it bothers me that my flesh is not perfect. It angers me sometimes because I, I get mad at myself because I mess up and I do stupid stuff and I wish that I wouldn't. But listen, hey, one day, hey, that battle with our flesh will all be put aside. We'll be in heaven. We don't have to worry about battling that flesh anymore. Hey, all of our ailments will be taken care of. Uh, I wear contact lenses, man. I'll never put them in my eyes again. Praise the Lord. I'll be able to see without a problem. If you have problems walking, hey, listen, you won't have any more pains in heaven because we'll be raised incorruptible. We'll be drawn up and our our mortal shall put on immortality. Our corruptible shall put on incorruptible. And what what a blessing to know that we are going to be changed. And listen, all of that is tied up in this little verse in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1. After this, after the message to the church, and, and beheld, or I looked and beheld, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice of a trumpet talking with me, uh, the first voice which I heard, excuse me, as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show these things which must be hereafter. Praise the Lord to me. Uh, that's pretty clear that, hey, listen, the church age is done. And God's going to sound that trumpet. And we that are saved, we that have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be pulled out of here. And we're going to go up hither, as it says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And listen, our, our flesh will put on incorruptible and will put on immortality and will be changed. Praise the Lord for that. That's a picture of the rapture. And then he says, I'm going to show you things that are to come. And we see the book of Revelation. You're going to find uh, the book of Revelation is, is judgment after judgment after judgment that falls on this earth. And you say, Pastor, who's here? Hey, listen, those who haven't trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that's who's here. Hey, listen, that's why you and I ought to be a light and ought to be a witness to every person that we can. What if the Lord were come tomorrow? Hey, listen, I don't want people to be left for the judgment of God. It's not going to be a pretty scene. It's not going to be an enjoyable time. We find a lot of harsh judgment. We find a lot of harsh things that fall during that time period. And praise the Lord that we're saved. We ought to be concerned and we ought to be burdened for those. Now I want you to notice this. As we look at these passages, who's on that throne? 
Well, it's the Lord that's on the throne. Look at what he says there as he invites him to come up hither and he's going to show him things that will be hereafter. He says in verse 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit and beheld a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Verse number 3, And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. I want, us, I want us to look at this throne just for a moment. And we're not going to spend much time here because I, there's a lot of stuff to look at. Uh, but, but I want us to see this throne. And, and listen, there is a priestly heritage that's involved with this. You look at the stone of Jasper and you look at the stone of Sardine stone. Uh, and we don't, I'm, I'm not very good with stones. Not very good with plants. I'm not very good with stones. I uh, just don't know that stuff. But I tell you what, you can find some stuff that, that's in the Bible that talks about that. Go with me to the book of Exodus. Save your spot here in, in Revelation chapter 4, because we'll be back here. But Exodus chapter 28. And in Exodus 28, it's going to talk about the priestly garments that God had established for the priests. And I want you to notice this. There's a lot of significance here. And we, we read through this stuff, and I don't always understand it, but I tell you what, uh, the Bible helps us understand a lot of this stuff. Exodus chapter number 28. And look with me in verse number 17. He's giving... Um, Go back to verse number 15. We'll, we'll get the context here. Exodus 28, 15. And thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work after the work of the ephod. Thou shalt make it of gold, of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, and of fine twined linen shalt thou make it. Four square it shall be, being doubled a span, shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. And thou shalt set in it settings of stone, even four rows of stones. He's going to list these stones for us. But what he's talking about is the breastplate that the priest would have, would have worn. I saw this in Israel, and I didn't even realize because I hadn't read this, hadn't studied it, but I saw that breastplate was all over. It wasn't big. It was like in small things, and they had all those stones in there. And it was very significant for the Jews. Why? What did it stand for? Let's read down through here. Let's find out. Uh, we left off there in verse number six, verse number 17. And thou shalt set in it settings of stones, even four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardis, sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. This shall be the first row. And the second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a ligure, an agate, and an amethyst, and the fourth row, a barrel, and an onyx, and a jasper, they shall be set in gold in their enclosings. Verse 21, and the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet. Every one with his name shall they be according to the twelve tribes. There's a lot of symbolism here. Listen, it's not your family and it's not my family, so we don't always understand it. But to the Jews, 
they'd see that thing, they would know what tribe they're from. They would know what stone. It was the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Israel. Every stone would have a name that would be assigned to it. It would start at Reuben and go all the way down through Benjamin. And I want you to notice what that first stone was. It says there in verse number uh, verse number. 17, thou shalt set in it settings of stones, even four rows. The first row shall be a sardius. Now, what's a sardius? Well, in Revelation, that's the sardine stone. It's the same stone that we have. And what does it stand for? That stands for, uh, that's Reuben. That's what it stands for. And listen, uh, it says, Reuben means behold a son. What was the last stone? The last stone was, uh, look with me in verse number, verse number 20. And the fourth row, a barrel and an onyx and a jasper. Go back to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, verse 3. It says, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. In other words, he's saying, listen, uh, the Jews would have recognized immediately the symbolism that would go back to the breastplate of the priest, the high priest that he would wear it, the first one being that of, of Reuben, uh, which would be uh, the son of God, and then the last one that would be Jasper. They would know this, they would see that, and they would immediately think Benjamin, this, uh, and that is the son of my right hand. And what I'm saying is, listen, on that throne, that description that he gives, it's a sardine stone, it's a jasper stone, and it's, emblem, it's an emblem, and it's a picture of that priesthood and of that garment that he would wear, and those stones would represent those two things, Reuben, the son of God, and, and Benjamin, the son on my right hand. And it's talking about Jesus Christ, who is on the throne. What an incredible picture. Hey, it doesn't stop there. Uh, we see the priestly heritage of those stones. But I want you to notice as well the promise that's there. Look with me in the second part of that. In verse number 3, he says, And there was a rainbow round about the throne. Listen, I have to say this. You know what a rainbow stands for? It doesn't stand for the L-G-B-Q-T-A-Z-X-Y-L-M-N-L-Q. It doesn't stand for that. It stands for God's promise that he would not flood the world again. You ever notice something that the world is constantly trying to take godly things and smear them and use them for worldly wickedness when God has a divine place for it? And listen, that rainbow that is surrounding the throne is a reminder of God's promise that he wouldn't judge the earth uh, completely and flood it with water ever again. What a great promise. We see the priestly heritage. We see the promise of God that's reminded of the, 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 Noah, the covenant with Noah that we see there in that rainbow that is surrounding the throne. What about the emerald, the last one, is the praiseworthiness. You'll notice that that is also in the, in the priestly heritage. And listen, that, that, uh, that, that uh, emerald would represent Judah, and Judah was praiseworthiness. Hey, that God is worthy of praise. We see that throne in chapter number th or verse number three. And listen, it's behold the Son. Behold the Son on the right hand. Behold the promises of God. Behold that God is praiseworthy. 
verse number 3. We'll find that. I don't want to spoil it, but look with me in verse number 11. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. That's our Creator that's sitting on the throne. The Lord Jesus Christ that's tied to the priestly heritage, that's tied to the promise uh, of, of uh, that God wouldn't uh, destroy the earth by flood ever again. And listen, He's praiseworthy. He's our high priest. And He's worthy to be praised. Praise the Lord for these three verses. We see the throne and we see the invite come up hither. How do you get that invite? Well, just like Thessalonians, it says... If we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, that He did that for our sins, and if we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, hey, when that trumpet sounds, you and I will be out of here. But if you don't put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the rest of the book of Revelation awaits you. It's not a joyful thing. It's a judgmental thing. And it's a sad statement, but a true statement. And so, listen, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I urge you, put your faith and trust in Him. Because, listen, He wants you to be saved. He wants to sound that trumpet, and He wants you to be taken off of this earth with the rest of those that have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we stand to our feet, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Father, we thank You for this picture of the throne. God, the very clear illustration of the rapture. Father, you've given a message very clearly to the church. And in most of those cases, God, you've called on the church to turn from, uh, from the wickedness that they have in them or have around them. And, and God, to walk with you and to be obedient to your word. God, you've encouraged us and you've strengthened us to do that. Thank you for the messages to the churches that you've given. And Father, we see very clearly that there's a rapture that's coming, a trumpet that's going to sound, and a voice that's going to say, hey, come up hither. And God, may we be ready, but God, may we be concerned and burdened for those who are not ready, that we may reach them with the gospel. God, I pray that you would just bless and encourage and strengthen each and every person that's here tonight. Father, we'll thank you for that. We'll give you the honor and glory for all of that. Father, if there's one person within the sound of my voice that does not know you, God, I pray that they'd put their faith and trust in you. God, that they'd call on you to be their own personal Savior. God, it's not of works. It's, there's nothing uh, we can't be religious enough to get to heaven. We can't be baptized enough to get to heaven. But it is a faith in your precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and asking of you to save us that saves us. And so, Father, I pray that you would touch hearts, show those that are in need of salvation their need, Father. Help them to put their faith and their trust in you. God, will thank you for that. God, I ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name, I pray. 
Amen. As the piano begins to play, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Thank the Lord for the rapture. Thank the Lord that we'll be out of here before all of revelation breaks forth and all of the judgment of God falls on the earth. <coughs> we need to be concerned for those who don't know the Lord. 